Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, whether for fun or profit. Welcome back to another GeoMob Podcast. This afternoon, my guest is Jeffrey Lynn. Jeffrey describes himself as a speculative cartographer who creates maps of the Earth as it might exist in the future. Through his studio, Conspiracy of Cartographers, Jeffrey maps out a world shaped by climate change. Using vintage maps as a base for projecting into the future, his work comments on nostalgia, memory, and a rapidly changing environment. Jeffrey's work has been featured in the Washington Post, Foreign Policy, Grist, and the Huffington Post, and it's also been praised by Ursula K. Le Guin. So I'm really excited to have Jeffrey on the podcast today. Um, before we even start talking, I've got to tell you, Go and look up that link to Conspiracy of Cartographers so that you can see his work whilst we're talking. Jeffrey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's good to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So before we get into Conspiracy of Cartographers, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into geo, what your background is. Um, I think probably like a lot of geographers and cartographers out in the world, um, as a kid, I was fascinated with maps. Um, the uh, the the free it, and I I don't think I don't think you have this tradition in the UK or in Europe, but uh, in the US, um, they would give out these free maps at gas stations, and um, and um, and I would just just even as a little kid, five or six years old, I would just be fascinated looking at these maps all the time. And um, uh, you know, looking back at um, sort of my my relationship with maps as a kid, we went to Disneyland when I was eight, and um, I bought a map of Disneyland, and I put that on my wall when we got home, and um, would just sit and stare at it for hours. Um, when uh, you know, and you know just in memory, mem memorizing all these places that I had gone in Disneyland and it was such a magical thing for me as a kid and, and I would just stare at this map. Um, a little later on when I was, uh, I think I was 12, 13, um, uh, I went on a, a backpacking trip uh, in the Boy Scouts to the Grand Canyon. And this was the same, same year that the... Um, the Washburn map of the Grand Canyon was released and it came as a, a folded up insert into a National Geographic magazine. And, um, and it was really just kind of amazing timing that that map came out at the same time that I took this trip into the Grand Canyon. And um, uh, I actually took that map, that insert that we got in National Geographic with me in my backpack down to uh, the bottom of the Grand Canyon to Phantom Ranch and, uh, uh, um, I wish I would have actually saved that instead of, you know, messing <laughs> it up by taking it on a camping trip. But, um, uh, and again, it was one of those things where I would stare at it for, for hours. Um, you know, when I got, uh, to be older, um, I appreciated the, the artistry and the, um, you know, the amazing colors and, and all of that, that they, they put in. So I think there's a little bit of a pattern here, Jeffrey, because um, 
when you talked about the gas station maps, I was thinking we didn't really have those in, in the UK. But when, and I was thinking that my first experience of maps was as a Boy Scout having to learn how to map read when we went doing our hiking trips as Boy Scouts, exactly the same as you. And in fact, my first engagement with maps when I was also about 13 years old was having to go out with an ordnance survey map, which is a detailed map of an area, you know, with all the terrain on it, and having to find your way um, to some really difficult places to find with just the map and a compass and nothing else. So, you know, we both had that experience of kids of learning to navigate the real world using maps. So, yeah, it's maybe it's a common thing amongst loads of us map lovers all over the world, the Boy Scouts. Yes. Anyway, so how did you go from being Boy Scouts, a Boy Scout map reader to a cartographer? Um, you know, I uh, went to college and... Um, um, you know, tried on a bunch of different things. Uh, I studied psychology for a while and uh, English literature and um, eventually just couldn't make up my mind, couldn't really find a passion and um, eventually kind of looked back to, you know, what has always interested me and um, and geography was was the thing that I that I decided, you know, this is something that's always fascinated me. Um, and so I pursued that and, uh, you know, got a, got a degree in geography uh, at San Francisco State University. And then from there, um, just started uh, getting into the GIS world and uh, uh, working with, um, you know, geospatial data and inf information and, and uh, kind of moving at some point into a, a more aesthetic um, uh, sort of um, pursuit and uh, uh, really got more into the, the map side of it. Right. So what's a speculative cartographer? Is it taking bets? <laughs> yeah, I, um, you know, I, I wanted to, um, yeah, on, one, on one hand, uh, I kind of feel like titles aren't that important to me in my career and on the other on the other hand I really wanted to have something you know, interesting that I called myself and um right and at the time I thought oh you know I'm I'm coining this phrase and you know of course I wasn't I mean a lot of other people have used it um I think the way a lot of other people have used it uh fantasy mappers um uh, uh use that uh, as a as a title for what they do um uh i've kind of delved into fantasy mapping here and there um but uh really i kind of think of it more as in the um you know the science fiction um realm uh because what i what i do most of the stuff that i do is is based on um real world data and um uh real world information uh about what we know about um, sea level rise. Um, so, so you're speculating on the future through the medium of a map, right? I mean, it's like the the same. Not speculating as gambling, but sort of viewing future possibilities through the medium of a map, right? The same the same way people describe uh, speculative fiction. Um, I I uh, use it in the same way as a speculative fiction folks would would use it. 
And your studio, you've called, uh, I just love this name, The Conspiracy <laughs> of Cartographers. I mean, yeah, when, when Ed Freifogel pointed this out to me and said, have a look at this, it was like, what an incredible name. So what prompted you to call your, your design business Conspiracy of Cartographers? Um, I think more than anything, it just sounded really cool. But uh, it was, you know, from... That's honest. It was from the um, the um, Tom Stoppard play, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Um, uh, which, you know, being a, um, being a cartographer, being a geographer, that line was always very funny to me. Um, and... Um, it just uh, it just worked for me for what I was doing. Um, the whole the whole context of that line is um, you know, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are on their way to to England, and you know of course they're going to be killed when they get there. And um, one of them asked the other, you know, where are we going? Where are we? Why are we going here? Where are we going? And he said, we're going to England. And well, I don't believe in it. What is it? Just a conspiracy of cartographers then? Um, uh, so I've always loved that line, that, that scene from the play and, and in the movie as well. Um, and, and so sort of the, the place that I got it from the, the play, um, and since I work a lot with climate change in my maps, that that's, um, most of the maps that I make have that foundation in, you know, climate change and the sea levels rising. Um, it sort of worked in that theme where um, it's it's um, poking fun at climate change deniers, uh, where um, you know you know what's going on climate change. Well, I don't believe in it. Well, is it just a conspiracy of cartographers then? Um, and so it, it it's um, you know a combination of a lot of things. I always. Loved that line. It worked with um, with what I was doing with cartography. Directly references cartography, um, and it uh, sort of mocks climate change deniers. So, it, it, in so many ways, it worked for me. There's an irony there, Jeffrey, because um, I'm sure many, if not most, um, climate change deniers um, passionately believe in the existence of nation states. And if ever there is a conspiracy of cartographers, it is the idea that nation states have these hard, historically gifted boundaries that we are forced to observe in perpetuity. So, you know, I mean, it's sort of, it's a nice twist. I like it. Um, so let's talk about uh, your environmental maps, these sea level maps. And um, I think... Um, before we actually start to talk about the, the maps, it would be a good idea if you could just describe broadly the, the whole approach that you've got to sea level mapping so that people can understand so, the sort of whole genre that you've produced. Um, well, uh, they were inspired by a couple of people. Um, uh, first off, um, Ursula, Ursula K. Le Guin, um, who did a, a sea level rise map in her in her novel, Always Coming Home. And then there was, there was a, um, a guy who, um, uh, 
uh, is in San Francisco, who is sort of a, um, uh, a social media presence there, uh, and he goes by Burrito Justice. And he did this map of San Francisco where he showed um, the sea level rise and then um, all the emergent geographies that come from that he renamed in some way. And so um, he did that for San Francisco, and I saw that, and I thought, oh, that is so cool. And I just sort of blatantly stole his idea and, um, and did one for Seattle, where I took um, the, the geography of Seattle and raised the sea level by um, what, 218 feet, um, 66 meters, and then uh, went through and renamed all of the... Um, the landforms that emerged from that uh, from from that sea level rise, um, and so that's what I that's what I started out doing is uh, various cities in the U.S. and some in Europe and some other places where I would uh, make these maps showing the sea level rise and then going through and renaming all of the the geographies that uh, that emerged from that, and then I kind of moved on from there. Um, uh, uh, adding sea level rise to vintage maps, um, um, primarily uh, old USGS maps, which you know are sort of uh, analogous to uh, the OS. Um, and then I had in this, I had this idea for. Um, uh, so, so the old maps, when I put the sea level rise on them, I, I call those the retro future maps. So the, the retro maps with the future added to them. And um, I'd been eyeing these, um, these vintage roadmaps that, uh, that you get from the, um, the, the gas stations, yeah, which I had always been fascinated with as a kid. Um, but I, I had this friend who... Uh, at some point, like on LinkedIn or something, he was kind of, um, I don't know, doing a bit of greenwashing because he got a, a, a contract for a, you know, a shell uh, gas thing. Um, and I had had this idea to put the, um, the, uh, the sea level rise on the gas station maps for a while, but that sort of prompted me to, uh, you know, I got to do this. this. This is something that I really need to do. To, to make the Petro future maps. Um, and um, so I hesitated with those because those maps weren't in the public domain. But uh, after talking to an uh, inter intellectual property lawyer, I went ahead and did it because it, it seemed like, okay, this is actually something that I can do and it's, uh, you know, it's a legal free use sort of thing for what I'm doing as, as a parody and as a, a editorial. So I created the Petro Future Maps, which shows the sea level rise on top of these vintage Shell gas station maps. Um, which is a counter conspiracy of cartography. Uh, yes. If, yeah. In, in, in a way. Yeah. I see why you'd say that. Um, and those, those are really my favorite right now. I've been doing a lot of those, um, Sadly, you know, the, the, like the UK and Europe, they don't have that tradition, so I haven't been able to find these gas station maps for, for those areas. But maybe they exist. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, if you know a source. Maybe they do exist. 
Well, exactly. So let's put a shout out here. If anyone's listening to this podcast and has got a source of sort of 50s style um, maps of the UK, whether they're gas station maps or whether they're something else, um, get in touch with Jeffrey. His contact details we'll give you at the end of the show because he'd love to have a look at those and see what he could do for the UK. Um, I was certainly thinking of the old... Um, we had things called road atlases because the UK is big enough that you can get like a small atlas, you know, with all of that. I was thinking some of those vintage road atlases might be good material for you. Yeah, especially if um, there's a big uh, oil company logo on it, because I really enjoy associating <laughs> yeah. the sea level rise with uh, with those company logos. So why 66 meters, Jeffrey? Uh, so the um, uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change... Um, they published some estimates on um, how much the sea level would rise if all of the um, the continental uh, ice caps were to melt, and the number that they came up with was 66 meters. Um, a lot of people think that that's um, too low, but it's it's defensible. It's something that I can point to and say, yeah, fair enough. These guys say it. and. Certainly, when you look at those maps, it's a pretty dystopian future that we're going to be living in. Yeah. Our cities won't be cities anymore. There'll be little islands surrounded by water, broken up into little islands surrounded by water. Coasts will have completely disappeared. Um, I mean, it's a, I can understand why it leads into sort of the science fiction fantasy world that Ursula K. Le Guin was describing, for example, because it is a, a dystopian future that we face if we get that level of sea rise. Yeah, I kind of feel like though the um, the real damage to the world and society comes well before all the all the ice caps have melted. So, yeah, this is this is sort of the end point of where the water goes. But uh, you know, the ecological, societal, all of those, all the things that will be damaged uh, in in the face of climate change that. Uh, this is the end point of that, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you sell these maps, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I sell them online. It, is that the main source of income for conspiracy of cartographers, or do you do custom work as well? Um, that uh, That is, at, for the most part, I would say that's, that's where most of uh, the funding for this project comes from. Um, it doesn't pay for itself. Uh, um, I'm. I, I would like to be breaking even on this at some point, but um, I also uh, have done commission work. Um, you know, the um, um, that uh, I did work for this game company for a while. For about eighteen months, I worked on a, a big project for this, which was sort of the background map for a for a digital game, an early console game. Yeah, it was. Um, uh it sort of laid out the the universe that that they were working in and um uh that was a lot of fun that was the most fun i think i've ever had making maps because it was uh, a real um you know really interesting conversation with the uh with the game designers and talking about their mythologies and so many of these things in um 
in the game world or in science fiction or in fantasy are really based in human history um, and uh, you know human geographies and um, so that conversation um, was fascinating it was the the most the most fun I've ever had doing someone else's work I'll bet I'll bet I went to there was an exhibition couple of years ago at um, the Bodleian Museum in library in in Oxford of um, J.R.R. Tolkien's work. Um, he'd left all of his papers and everything to the university and um, and in this exhibition are all the maps that he drew for the Lord of the Rings series. Um, and the thing about them that you discovered was that they were absolutely pixel precise maps. You know, um, he'd written, he'd drawn maps that he could use to write the narrative. And he had made the maps absolutely scaled so that when he was describing long journeys across the mountains and everything, he could calculate the time that the different characters, based on their size, would take to walk and everything. I mean, it was just incredible, you know, to see this work. And I can imagine, you know, that freedom that you get to work in somebody else's fantasy universe, but actually to turn it into real-looking maps is must be brilliant, you know, great fun. Yeah, I... Um... Where did I hear that that, Jer that Tolkien started with his geographies and built the stories on top of those? And that's just that's correct. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. As a geographer, I just really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, of all the maps that you've made, what's your favorite? I mean, everyone's got a favorite. Um. Well. And that's not dissing the bait, all the other babies, all the other children, <laughs> but you've always got a favorite. Um, God, let's see. Um, well, I, I would say that my favorite may be the one that, that I can't share uh, was, was the, the game company map. But uh, right. the non-disclosure agreement keeps me from really sharing that or talking about it. So um, I will say the... Um, the first map of Los Angeles that I did, the um, okay, where I go through and um, rename all of the uh, the places that have been uh, you know, turned into islands or beaches or whatever, um, and some of my favorite puns are on that map. <laughs> uh, gotcha. Um, okay. I just have the the one that uh, that is my favorite place name that I created was. Uh, uh, an area in LA, uh, straight out of Compton. You know, S T R A I T, the 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 uh, you know the water form. Yeah, yeah, lovely. So let's talk a little bit about the tech because if I remember correctly, you're a bit of an open source and open data geek as well. So, what data sources do you use to produce the Earl maps? Um, you know, it really depends on where I'm working. Um, uh, the, the base maps, obviously, I mean, if you take a look at uh, the, the base maps in um, uh, the United States, most of them are on top of old USGS maps. Um, and uh, there's, there's an interesting, just working with the old maps that I, that I base 
my uh, retro future and petro future maps on. There's a really um, somewhat narrow time frame where it really works, where these are old maps that are over 100 years old, um, but they're still accurate enough to, to blend with modern data. Um, and so a lot of the USGS maps, um, you know, mostly uh, being produced, uh, God, I can't remember when the USGS was, was founded, but most of them are in the late 1800s. And that's just like the sort of wow. the, the sweet spot for um, combining uh, old maps with modern data because, um, because it generally lines up pretty well. Um, there are places like I, I got, uh, I've gotten some base maps from, um, uh, you know, uh, David Rumsey. Uh, I actually got permission right. to, uh, to use his um, old shell maps, his old gas station maps. Um, and then places like Library of Congress has a lot of old, uh, you know, vintage maps, antique maps. Um, the uh, Boston Public Library, um, where else? New York Public Library. A lot of a lot of good sources. There was um, one map that that I used for uh, Paris. Um, fell well outside of the. Um, of that sweet spot that that I usually get the late late eighteen hundreds. This was made in the seventeen hundreds um, of all of uh, uh, Ile de France around around Paris, and the um, accuracy of that map is remarkable for for the age. It just lines up perfectly with uh, with modern data. And then presumably you've got some elevation data. Yeah, and that also depends on uh, where I'm mapping. Um, there are a lot of places in the U.S. where you can get some really, really precise data just from the USGS website, or uh, there's open topography, um, and you can get some LIDAR-based uh, elevation data uh, from some of those sources that uh, are very precise, like one meter um, resolution. Um, other places... Um, uh, I tend to use, well, there's, and I'm probably mispronouncing this because I've seen it um, spelled out, but I've never heard anyone else pronounce it. The Earth Envy, uh, they make a, a worldwide, uh, they supply a worldwide data set that um, is um, not as coarse as the, the GEBCO data, um, which is a really nice worldwide data set. Um, the uh, Earth Envy data um, is a really good sort of regional um, uh, uh, resolution. And then um, I also source data, and I think that this is just uh, gathered. I think they gather it from other sources, but uh, the uh, Japanese space agency, uh, JAXA, they they have a, a good source for um, uh, more precise data. Um, right. that, that's freely elevation data freely available. What I really like about the maps is the way you use transparency for the for the new waters. So, I mean, you do, you visualize the rise in the sea level and what that's going to do to the landscape, 
But instead of showing it just as a blue fill of water or whatever colour you might choose for the water, you show it as transparent. So you see the hidden city underneath the water, which has such amazing impact. You know, I mean, it's a great cartographic approach, you know, to actually show the streets underneath the water that will have disappeared, you know. So you're not just seeing the new islands, that are the islands of city that remain, but you're also seeing those lost parts of the city so beautifully. It's a great technique. Yeah, it's it's really important to show that uh, just so people can orient themselves. Um, uh, not everyone can read maps as well as we can. And uh, so if they have that, you know, those points of reference, it's a lot easier for people. And you do all of this using QGIS, I think, um, or mainly using. Yeah, that's um, that's a, a big one that I use, um, and then uh, export uh, the um, the maps um, out to uh, Photoshop, and then I use that for all of my labeling and um, uh, Illustrator. Actually, I use for the, the labeling, but um, Photoshop for overlaying all of these different data layers that that go into the map. Okay. All right. So let's talk a little bit about fantasy. And we've talked about um, your work with games, but um, you actually got picked, your work got picked up by Ursula K. Le Guin, didn't it? Um, yeah, I, um, because I... Just before we do, just before you, you, uh, you talk about this, yeah. Jeffrey, um, for the people listening to this podcast, um, if you're a young person, you may not really know who Ursula K. Le Guin is. She was one of the, the greatest science fiction fantasy writers of the 60s, 70s and 80s. I mean, I think she carried on writing for a lot longer than that, but she was at the peak of her creative talents in that period, you know. And if, if you're from my generation, this older generation, and you were into sci-fi, she was a goddess of the of the genre so anyway how did you get in touch with her and what was the story um yeah she was really ahead of her time in so many ways and yeah just an amazing person really a good person i mean beyond the the um the power of her works um so i was um influenced by the um the novel always coming home which i think she wrote in 1985 uh, for for my sea level rise maps, and so um, I made a map of Portland, which was where she she lived um, uh, for for a long time until she died a few years ago. Um, and so I wanted to, you know, thank her for her uh, for the influence that she had on me. And so I I um, uh, sent her a, a print of the Portland map that I made, the Portland sea level rise map. And um, and really got a, you know a wonderful response from her. Um, uh, um, a, a few weeks later, um, she sent me a, an email. Just uh, and I actually I, I sent that to you last night, and I don't have yeah. it with me right now. Um, and just very warm, very generous response um, about and she she talks about her process and creating the the central valley sea level rise map in her book yeah she said thank you for the map it is terrific frightening fascinating and funny um i mean and then she goes on to talk about um 
the impact um, that the map should have and uh, how and connecting it back to her work in Always Coming Home. So yeah, it was great. Uh, it must have been quite a buzz to get that. Uh, Absolutely. You know, when you write to your heroes and they write back, it's a wonderful <laughs> feeling. <laughs> so, Jeffrey, as we draw to a close, what are you working? What have, What are your new projects? What are you about to do? Um, uh, I'm gonna. Con I'm continuing with the um, the Petro Future and Retro Future maps. Um, there's you know, a lot more to be done with those. Um, but I'm also working on just really um, more simple maps that just use a couple of colors, um, basically just black and white maps that uh, go city by city and basically just show the landforms for those cities that, uh, um, you know, the, the landforms after 66 uh, meters of sea level rise. Um, so, so I've got an ask. I want a map of London. Okay. Yeah, I've yeah. I've made it. Um, oh, you've made yeah. it because it's not on the. It doesn't appear on the website. Right. It's um, so I have um, a map. You know, one of the the original ones of London with the different geography names. Um, I haven't found a really good retro future base for London yet, but the just black and white, I've I've made a map of London and I haven't, okay. I've made a bunch of that, I've probably made a few dozen of those maps, but I just haven't really put them out onto the world yet. I put a few okay. out onto like um, Twitter, but uh, that's about it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to a friend of mine who has access to probably the biggest historic map historic maps collection in London, and see describe the process to him and see what he can come up with as a possible base map for you to work to layer into that. That um, would be fantastic. Thank you. Uh, I'm not going to make a promise, but let's see what we can do. So, if anybody wants to have a look at your maps or even buy one of your maps can they get them in the uk yeah you can um the the printer that i use i, I use one of the, the white label drop ship printers um right so they'll print and ship to anywhere in the world basically. yeah and they have printing facilities all over the world as well and, right so if you want to get one of jeffrey's maps you need to go to the conspiracy of cartographers.com correct is that correct if you want to Get in touch with Jeffrey. It's Jeffrey at conspiracyofcartographers.com. Yes, that, that works. And on Twitter, it's... Um, at Jeffrey Lynn. At Jeffrey Lynn. Conspiracy okay. of Cartographers so, was too long a name to, uh, to use as a Twitter handle. Yeah, particularly with 140 characters. <laughs> Jeffrey, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll be in touch about a London... Um, retro map for you um, and I look forward to seeing that map in London in a few months time hopefully. Great. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for being on the Geomob podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the Geomob podcast. Hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please get in touch with us if you have any feedback or suggestions for topics we should cover. You can get the show notes over on the website which is on thegeomob.com 
And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly mailing list where we keep you informed about upcoming events. You can also follow us on Twitter where our handle is Geomob. Thanks again for listening and hope to see you at a Geomob event soon.